0: Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting
1: a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that
0: some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Rich Tracy pinch hitting for Sherry this morning. Sherry is at home uh, nursing a case of laryngitis. So if she was here, she'd actually sound a lot like me than, uh, than herself so she's a listener along with all of you this morning and um, she said she might text me questions so she'll actually maybe be running the show from home this morning so uh, good morning again and we have a great show for you this morning Uh, before we get to our guest we have a good friend of the show with us uh, polo ruiz from dea and he's here to tell us about an event they have coming up good morning brother how you doing
2: Good morning, Rich. It's good hearing from you and uh, to everybody. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk here real quick. And uh, this morning, we are holding uh, our national take-back day. It's our 23rd national day that we're doing this, and it's uh, between the hours of 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We have A5 uh, drop locations throughout Arizona. Last year in 2021 in the spring, uh, we uh, residents of Arizona turned over over 8,200 pounds of unwanted, unused, expired medication, and um, we're hoping that we have far more than this amount uh, this this uh, this time frame. And um, unfortunately, last year we faced over 107 107, 107,000 uh deaths as a result of drug poisonings due to uh, the opioid epidemic we're facing right now
1: well i i uh, volunteered it for a couple hours at a location last year and uh, it's amazing how many people came by and took advantage of the opportunity i just want to say that it's a drop-off no questions asked um, there's law enforcement officers there that will take care of the, of what's turned in appropriately and dispose of it appropriately. And um, uh, is there a website or anywhere where people can go to see what locations are available?
2: Yes, Rich. Uh, you go www.dea.gov, and uh, from there it will tell you all the drop locations throughout Arizona. Particularly here in southern Arizona, we have 15 locations. And of course, the majority of them are at the police departments <clears throat> or other locations. And as you stated before, there's no questions asked. Uh, our main our main mission here from DEA in working in uh, in, in Arizona is is taking those unused, uh, expired medi- uh, medications at your homes, uh, so that way they don't get into the hands of other folks in your family, and then unbeknownst to you, um, now they've become addicted to these drugs because that's what we're finding. Um, you know, we're, in the last couple years, we've been facing a large opioid epidemic, not only here in Arizona, but in the United States. And um, another thing to be aware of is, is that we're, with that being said in the fentanyl, uh, epidemic and uh, they're the, the drug organization the drug organizations are changing over the the, the variation of the pills in which they're uh, disguising them now in uh, multicolored uh, so it lures other uh, addicts or new to be addicts to uh, take these pills and they look like uh, confetti. They look like confetti or skittles or type of like that, and uh, unfortunately, it's causing a every 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 day we're seizing monument <clears throat> We're doing monumental seizures here, over two hundred thousand pills, five hundred thousand, a million, uh, and it's just uh, it's really hitting us really hard. So we're trying to make sure that the public is aware of these things.
1: Well, I appreciate the yeoman's work that DEA does. I want to ask you one question before uh, before we let you go this morning. Uh, do you, with it being Halloween weekend, uh, you've already alluded to the multicolored fentanyl pills and whatnot, but do you have any last-minute advice for parents that might be uh, taking their children trick-or-treating and things to look out for, anything specific you can pass along? Uh,
2: well, we haven't found uh, uh, recent, well, we haven't found that uh, they have not an- organizations haven't uh, been pushing them through the Halloween candy. We do know that these organizations, unfortunately, they do disguise them within these uh, uh, with, with these products, legitimate products, so that way they can smuggle them through our ports of entry, but also throughout our streets. And uh, so that way, if there's a law enforcement officer that does the traffic stop and sees, for instance, uh, a bag of candy. Uh, the law enforcement officer is not going to look through the bag of candy because you know they're trying to. It's it's not it's not uh, common, but uh, because of these organizations' uh, will to try to entice and and move these drugs uh, throughout the United States, it is common. So I do ask that the uh, families and the the parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents look through the, the 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 candies that are just being given uh, to the kids and then uh, to make sure you have any questions you can always call or check our website and uh, we're always available and we're uh, to drop off at any police department or fire department and then uh, so that way we can if there is a question and and uh, it is a possible that it is uh, fentanyl we will take care of it.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Polo. Just again, the locations are uh, available at DEA.gov and also at the Law Matters website, LawMatters1030.org. Thank you for joining us this morning, Polo Ruiz, who is the Assistant Special Agent in Charge for the Drug Administration here in Tucson, an old friend and all around nice guy. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we'll talk soon.
2: No, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm sorry about you having anergitis today
1: all right <laughs> have a good one we'll talk to you soon Appreciate my buddy all right brother bye bye. all right good morning again we have with us this morning that this is going to be a fascinating conversation for those of you listening to us live this morning uh, Stephanie Samuels is with us and she is a psychotherapist for 35 years that has been involved with uh, the law enforcement community and in particular over time into suicide awareness and prevention and and she is the founder and director of cop line and we're going to talk all about that we we're going to get through this in a flash if you are listening to us live this morning uh, the studio line is five two zero seven nine zero two zero four zero. please feel free to give us a call and we'll uh, let you chat with stephanie as well good morning and welcome to the show stephanie
0: Good morning, Rich. Thank you so much for having me, uh, having me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, this is this is important stuff. I'm really glad you're able to join us. Now, I probably should say, is it okay if I call you Stephanie, or should I refer to you as Doctor Samuels?
0: Uh, well, um, if you refer to me as Doctor, that would be uh, impersonating somebody. So I have two master's degrees. Oh, well. I don't know if I have my doctorate. Okay, so. <laughs> Stephanie's great, and even if I did, it'd still be.
1: Definitely. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, uh, again, I alluded at the top that you are the founder and director of Copline. And so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Copline, and then we'll go backwards and work our way up to current day.
0: That sounds, sounds great. And, uh, and titles are titles. So I think, uh, I, I think it's a lovely title, but uh, I am, I am a, a cog in the wheel of uh, of how this runs but Hotline is a 24 hour 7 day a week hotline for police officers active or retired as well as um, their families and any law enforcement officer actually um, to be able to call to talk to a vetted retired um, well trained police officer or law enforcement officer um, about anything honestly from a bad day to a full-blown mental health crisis so there's a few things that make cop line unique but i think i think the most important message because you know cops aren't suicidal unless they have a gun in one hand and a bottle of jack in the other and still then they would say you know there's probably somebody that needs help more than i do so it it's been really important to make sure that we, we get the word out that that cop line deals with really anything from that bad day to that full-blown mental health crisis. Um, the belief has always been, in, and as you said, I've been a clinician. I'm still a clinician, and so, you know, I always laugh at these nifty titles of, you know, director and founder, founder was, you know, kind of what it was, and director just kind of means that I get to oversee different things. But the truth is I work upwards of 75 hours a week of clinical hours um, back east, uh, really dealing with only law enforcement. So being able to kind of understand um, who they are on, on many different levels and kind of their, their multiple psychosocial stressors that they deal with um, was imperative, and that these lines would capture the knowledge and the understanding of that population was essential. So, um, so about ninety-five percent of our calls. So we get uh, we get between three and four hundred calls right now a month. And it'll be people are like, "Oh my God!" You know, I never worry honestly about the people that call. I worry about all those that aren't calling. So of those three to four hundred um, calls a month, about ninety-five percent of them are just bad day calls. Officers that are struggling with the societal shift, um, the officers that are dealing with some relationship issues, um, just just kind of what we call that low-hanging fruit. 3% are dealing with critical incidents, and that doesn't necessarily mean in the past 24 hours or 48 hours. We find that incident dates um are significant, so not uncommon for somebody to call that, you know, three years ago on this date or coming up to this date, you know, a friend of theirs died by suicide, um, or they were involved in a, uh, an OIS, or um, something of this sort, um, including, you know, their own child's death. So that's that's 3%, and the, the 2% are the ones that kind of, I think I'm allowed to ask, um, and they, you know, the guys ask puffer. They are the, the caller that is typically crying, intoxicated with a firearm, with the intention that this will be their last call. And I will tell you that the that the men and women that are answering these lines are trained to deal with anything from that bad day to to that full blown mental health crisis. When I establish cop line, the, the greatest fear of any officer is that if I reach out for help. I'm going to lose my gun badge and patch. I'm going to lose my ability to take care of my family and myself, and I'm actually going to go in that order because I think most officers actually worry about their families before they worry about themselves. So when I set up copline, um, I did so with a whole lot of knowledge um, knowledge of hotlines, knowledge of callers of hotlines, knowledge of cops. and so um, so i I made sure that um, that cop line was going to be truly confidential. So there are three times that we breach confidentiality on these lines. And when I say we, again, I don't answer these lines. So I still do the light lift. I'll always tell you guys, people like you, Rich, you guys have always done the heavy lift. For me, I, I've always done the light lift. I've never put myself um, in in a situation uh, that I knew would, would potentially cause me um, harm. Or as you guys always run into that, so I, I've always appreciated that and truly respect that, and have never lost sight of that. So, uh, so there are three times that we will breach. If a um, caller calls up and they are homicidal, they have got a target, they have got a plan, they've got a means. We will do everything in our power to try and stop that, until um, we have little information. But we will do whatever we can. Um, if the person is engaged in child abuse or elder abuse, those are the three times. So what you've clearly heard me leave out is, is suicide. If a caller calls up and they are crying and they are intoxicated and they are talking about dying by suicide, their ambivalence allowed them to dial 10 numbers. I know that every single person that's answering our lines has been trained well enough to take that ambivalence and give them that time. To be able to live so that's kind of cop line in um, in a nutshell but i think those are really really important pieces and in order to to keep that integrity we don't take state or federal funds so that's been kind of our heaviest lift particularly in the age of um, buzzwords of officer wellness the the buzzwords of peer support of officer resiliency and those are things and i guess as a snarky um clinician i I kind of um take some type of umbrage to um certainly to resilience because i know of no greater and higher resilient population than a police officer so what really I feel that we need to be focusing on is not how to give an officer resilience because truthfully they can teach it, is how have you survived every worst day of your life until now, and what are the coping mechanisms that you used, and then we deal with what are the healthy coping mechanisms right, right. that you used. <laughs>
1: because so. we all know the, 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 there's, the history is replete with stories of bad coping mechanisms, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, and you know my other thing is so the profile of a cop. So after doing this for many many years, and you, know, you and I had talked a little bit uh, before he came on, and you had mentioned Dr. John Vialante, who is just truly one of the most amazing um, researchers, human beings um, dedicated to officer wellness and suicide prevention. I, I think in this country, and I um. know i had the the incredible honor of co-authoring with him and i remembered i i said to to john i said why me and he said i've never met anybody that can keep a cop in therapy for as long as you can because it's kind of my average cop is there for like at least 10 years and it's not that they're just screwed up for 10 years it's that when they realize that it's not some you know some crazy woman with horned ring glasses having you lay down on a couch talking about your childhood, that it really is just kind of, I think one of my guys is the nicest compliment. He said, it's like having coffee with a friend. Is being able to, to kind of come in there. So what brings them in there isn't why they stay, but um, but being able to address kind of their underlying issues. So here's the profile of a cop, and this was something that, that John and I had spoken about. Um, Quite a bit um, because we're really starting to see the relevance of this um, and unfortunately the accuracy of it which is um, an officer Typically has grown up in crisis does well in crisis doesn't know how to live without crisis Issues with a father figure or significant loss early in life history of abuse Emotional physical sexual or neglect makes her a great cop makes her a very difficult home life now you take this profile and now you know that they're resilient because resiliency is built from from typically adversity and survive and surviving it. But what worked for them as kids as coping mechanisms will not work as an adult, and that's kind of where you know, the work begins and continues.
1: Right. So yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting. I never really thought of it in that uh, in that perspective. Um, you know the the resiliency is something that's born from experience, and uh, for example, in in the Marshal Service, we we give uh, new deputies while they're in the training academy a course in uh, it's just a presentation, but it's it's basically talking about resiliency and self care and how to you know how to inoculate hopefully inoculate yourself from some of these things as they come along or give you. Set you off on the right on the right path to resiliency, or the right path to being able to cope effectively, rather than fall into the, some of the pitfalls of bad coping mechanisms as you go through a career, and and invariably bad things are going to happen.
0: And the other part of that with the coping mechanisms, and as you know, one kind of gets into into that, and you get into some of the post traumatic stress to sort of components is that numbing of general responsiveness. So what we also find is it takes more and more to be able to heal. Well, adrenaline is high-at-risk behavior. So that's what starts to escalate as well. And then again, dealing with kind of the underlying etiology too, it's really, I mean, it's amazing. It's fascinating. It's, it's what I enjoy the most and still every day. I love getting up, going to work. I look at my schedule. I'm so excited and to see who I'm seeing that day. Is, um, I wish everybody uh, this type of career and this type of feeling going to work, truly.
1: Right, absolutely. Again, our, our guest this morning is Stephanie Samuels, and the studio line is 520. 520- 790-2040, if you want to give us a call. Uh, let me, uh, just as an aside, because you mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder, and I've always thought that PTSD is an often misused term, um, and it kind of, it it, it um, is overused and, and really uh, melts down the, the significance of PTSD. So, can, can you briefly explain to our listeners the difference between pts post-traumatic stress and ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder
0: so so i so i'll start off with with your first piece of that i think post-traumatic stress disorder has been so incredibly misused and abused It, it is something that truly makes my blood boil when i listen to people you know talking about a bad day and then using post-traumatic stress disorder in it and i think to myself you should only know um so post-traumatic stress disorder is based on an individual that has experienced a an event that involved actual or um or threatened death to self or others um and and that they had to bear witness uh, to that. So one of the the pieces of, of post traumatic stress disorder is there's there's many layers to the onion. So that two people, so you can you could be out um, at a shooting, Rich, and you can be the shooter, except if you never believe that your life is imminently in danger, and. That that you that post traumatic stress disorder will not occur. So it's really based on on a experience of whether or not one believes that um, that their life is imminently in danger and could have resulted in death um, or serious injury to self or others. Because that's the other component to it. Whereas somebody else who witnesses it could have encoded this very differently. So. So that's that's the initial component. And then you start going into some of the other pieces where you have flashbacks to to the incident and flashbacks aren't memories. And people also mistake that part of it is, you know, we all have memories. Flashbacks are very you are reliving the event. And if you watch somebody having a flashback, that's that whole the lights are on and nobody's home you are literally watching when they're in my office, you know, and again, you know, through the pandemic or whatever, if I was in town, I was, I was in that office, you know, period. So I, because watching them, when I, when they're talking about an incident and I'll say to them, take me to where you are now. And they will literally place me, you know, at the scene, at the street, I ask for the details or what happened because I want to be there with them. So, so that's a flashback. Um, so they experience that uh, there are um, irritability, outbursts of anger. So the, the other pieces that are probably the most significant and most damaging are um, irritability, outbursts of anger, difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep, um, poor concentration, um, exaggerated starter response. And so when you don't sleep well, and I, you know, when I, when I lecture, I always say, okay, now how many people here... You know, wake up at the one and a half hour mark. How many people are waking up at the three hour mark? Four and a half hours. And then I always say, if you're sleeping, you know, to six hours, you're sleeping better than I am. So I don't care.
1: Um, <laughs> there is some truth to that. <laughs> uh, I bet there is. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so, I, so one of the things that's really kind of interesting to look at. You know, and I also say my guys over forty. I'm like the male piss does not count when you wake up. So, um, so when you wake up at the the one and a half um, Our mark, which few people do, unless it's um, within sight of about the first two months of that critical incident. Most people are waking up around um, three to four and a half hours. I'm not a genius. What I very few people remember their dreams as well, but they'll wake up and they'll have increased heart rate, um, sweating a lot of times, not uncommon for sheets to be uh, kind of you know thrown off the bed, and they don't remember their dreams. But what we know about dream cycles is we dream in 90-minute dream cycles. Cops are notorious to work themselves so they are so literally exhausted that they just, I don't think they sleep, I just think that they, they have the first you know, phase of you know, sleep death. They just plop down and that's it. So they can okay. get through that first hour and a half. But by three hours, those dreams are there. So not uncommon for them to wake up at that, around the three hour mark. And then you just, you start looking at those 90 minute dream cycles. So that kind of also gives us an idea of of that. So when you talk about post-traumatic stress, there is truly no no diagnostic criteria. So therapists like myself diagnose out of this DSM-5 you know, book. And one of the things that kind of is now getting used and, and is changing as well, we don't want to call it a disorder so now we're going to change it. We just can't change things. So there's something called acute stress disorder, which are the symptoms, and then they, they dissipate within sight of three months of the incident. So um, so I can't even diagnose with post-traumatic stress disorder until after three months. So when I debrief, so you, you had kind of touched on doing a, you know critical incident debriefing, so I feel very, very strongly about... Um, how that's done and about follow-up. And this is why the follow without follow-up we're never going to know about post-traumatic stress disorder, because we don't know if three months down the line, they're refusing to drive down the street of the incident, whether or not they're now snapping at their wives, whether they're going into a grocery store and they're supposed to get five things, they get eight, none of the five were on there. So those are the pieces that without appropriate follow-up, we're really not going to know what's going on because cops will never tell you. They will absolutely never tell you. So, you know, I I have been advocating really strongly back here in New Jersey for, you know, appropriate protocol to be done. I'm really proud of my prosecutor's office. I'm on the county prosecutor's office under, um uh, Lloyd Lori Linsky, who is the acting prosecutor, she was not made prosecutor, but I'll tell you, she and Chief John McCabe had made sure that after their guys were involved in critical incidents, they got debriefed, and then they had individual follow-up for at least three sessions. Two of them within inside of the first three weeks of those incidents, leaving it up to the clinician whether or not they needed more. If they were doing okay to make sure that after that three month mark they came back and one of them, one of them was not doing well and, um, and has continued to be in therapy and being able to deal with, um, with the, the parts that, that had occurred that are still, um, still resonated with, with that individual. So if we didn't have that, we'd never know. You know, and now you you speed ahead to, you know, people like Karen Solomon for, you know, Blue Health, is now First Health, you know, and and her advocacy to try and get, you know, suicides covered. And I'm not going to get into that debate, but I I know that, you know, that the federal government has now said, you know, signed legislation that under certain conditions, and by the way, post-traumatic stress disorder is that condition, and that they were treated for it and diagnosed from an incident that it would be covered. So when you look at that, and I can remember many, many years ago, I think I might have written in, in the book with John, is I said, what happens when your mind dies one day and your body another? And, and there's, and in screaming from, you know, from the top of whatever mountain, apparently to no one, it is that, that this can be avoided. That if we can, in fact, do that follow up and understand that, you know, fine, in a law enforcement officer's vocabulary means effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, that's fine. I tease everybody that cop line, we try and make officers less fine one call at a time.
1: Right, right. That's that, cr-
0: that, we are, that we need to really look at this. We continue to ask people like yourselves to do a job that truly The only people that could do it and not have feelings are sociopaths. Sociopaths are 10% of our population. And then if that's the case, we need to figure out how we're going to skew to find the sociopaths to do this job. For the public needs to understand they don't care if you're a good guy or a bad guy, they're going after
1: everybody. Right, right. And and the interesting thing is a lot of people don't know this, but sociopaths are not just bad guys. There are, you know, CEOs of major corporations and things along those lines. They they test on the as sociopaths as well.
0: hmm uh, absolutely.
1: So uh what we're gonna do, Stephanie, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to take a break real quick and uh we'll be back in just a few minutes.
2: Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. SARCI is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to SARCI.org. That's S-A-R-C-I dot org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit.
0: To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at
1: 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to two three three seven three three. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at
0: www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook.
1: Do you have security cameras on your home and live around the 400 block of West Ohio Street? On June 1st, 2021, a murder took place and you just might have the information we need. To stay anonymous, upload your video to 88 Crime. Tienes cámaras de seguridad en tu casa y vives cerca de la cuadra 400 oeste de la calle Ohio? El primero de junio de 2021 se registró un homicidio y es posible que usted tenga la información necesaria para resolver este caso. Para permanecer anónimo, sube su video a la página 88crime.org.
2: Law Matters opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, FBI Supervisory Special Agent Gary Helmer talks to us about elder abuse. So get your questions ready and the on-air number is 520-790-2040 and check out the Law Matters sponsorship page on our new LawMatters1030.org website. Maybe you or a company you know would like to join our mission and keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcasts can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and LawMatters1030.org.
1: We're back. Thank you very much for staying with us through the break. Uh, Again, our guest is Stephanie Samuels from Copline, and I want to give out the number to anybody listening. It's 1-800-COPLINE, which is 267-5463. Again, 1-800-267-5463. And if you want to call and join the conversation, the studio line is 520-790-2040, 520-790-2040. Again, Stephanie, thanks for being with us here this morning, and i want to I want to talk a little bit about the vo- the volunteers and, and what you're looking for in a volunteer and the type of training they have. Because when someone calls, I understand you refer to your volunteers as listeners. And uh, if someone calls one eight hundred cop line, the first words are going to be something along the lines of "Hello, this is Copline, What's going on?" <laughs>
0: that's very that's very accurate. Yes, yeah. so. Um, so it's kind of interesting because we get a lot of volunteers with a background of peer support from hostage negotiations, um, and that's probably the two uh, the two big kind of background pieces that people are drawn to this. Um, and I always kind of choose them, and, I, and they're. They okay, only you know, kind of puff up their chests, and they're very excited, and they say, "All that means is that we have bad habits that we have to break." So, um, so really, the the number one piece, and I think it's—I wouldn't say it's the secret ingredient, because I would say that it should be the well-known ingredient—is that every one of these individuals has a servant's heart, that they truly have a love for their, their brothers and sisters and, and want to continue to make a difference. So that really is the number one thing that, that we look for in a volunteer is that because we don't take any state or federal money, I mean, we are poor, our integrity is amazing, um, but these individuals have had to put themselves through the training. So we pay for, for the training themselves you know, our our trainer, our lead trainer, um, Dr. Jay Magdaman, is the only person we know in the country that has a dual expertise. So he came from the Los Angeles Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is the oldest hotline in the country. He was the director of that, and he's been with the Los Angeles Police Department and their Behavioral Science Services uh, for over 15 years. So he's our our lead dog in this. But um, being able to to have volunteers that are flying on their own time, their own dime, to attend this. So there's only three a year, and, you know, typically it's not in anybody's backyard, so they're paying for their hotels, they're paying for their transportation, they're paying for their meals so that they can continue to volunteer to take care of their own and their families. So um, so surface heart is number one. We have a, a group of people with a really diverse background because we've had people, um, officers, who have spent many, many of their um, of their years in internal affairs, um, not necessarily um, out on the streets, financial crimes. We've had, um, we certainly have, you know, our SWAT guys, we have, you know, you, you, you kind of name it, but that heart. Is, is what Copline is about, you know. And and when we when we created the logo, I always had this kind of heartbeat that went through it, because because line was always alive to me. It still is, you know. When I, I first founded it, and and realized that I had to go live. That so it, it used to ring into my office, and I remember. So I, it was founded in 2005. And, you know, every year at Connecticut would call somebody from, I think it was 311, they were starting, whatever it was. And they would, you know, and ring into the office and you know, call them back or what have you. And, you know, and, and they'd be like, you know, hey, is anybody answering this online? Like, no, not yet. You know, hopefully next year. So Speed Ahead, I did that for a lot of years. Um, so June of 2016 was the poll shooting. And I just thought to myself, like things are getting bad, and I've I've got to you know, you know what, or get off the pot. So I um, sorry, call up you know my carrier for for that was AT and T at the time, and I called AT and T, and that was just a mess. You can't get through to really anybody. Try and explain to them the the, the need to pull this off of of a work phone and onto a cell phone. And so it was a cop line phone in my family. Um, I had a separate phone for that. So they were getting around to it. Well, now, speed ahead. within sight of three weeks, and most people don't realize this, July 7th was the Dallas Live of 2016. Right. And I got a call, and I'm not rattled that often. And I saw it, it came up on caller ID in my office and came up Dallas. And I answered it. And it was a female, and she was screaming and she was crying. And she said, You've got to do something. You've got to help. They're killing my brothers and sisters. I beg of you, do something. And I could just, I I, I was absolutely helpless. And I said to her, I feel as helpless as you do. And it was just, it was a horrible, there was nothing I could do. There's nothing I could say. It was just, you know, kind of bearing witness with her to to what was going on and and kind of a pain shared. (laughs) There's a pain divided. And um and I remember getting off the phone and I and I just remember thinking, It is enough. I decided now I'll start with the CEO of ATT and work my way down since working my, my way up didn't help. And I must have been that crazy woman that called that by that night those phones were now ringing onto a separate, you know, phone that I literally carried twenty four seven. Incredible assistant chief out of San Diego, Sarah Crichton, who had Started an amazing peer support and officer wellness program out there. I'd met her at um, at a conference she and I were, had been asked to with the attorney general um, in DC. And and she had called me up and she's like, I'm retiring in uh, in February. Copline needs to be up and running. <laughs> I flew out there. I don't think I sat down and Dr. Nagdeman was already on board. We had the date set and Sarah took care of everything. So April of 2017, we went ahead and we trained our first our first group of you are correct. They're active listeners, so and they have literally been answered. Um, these these ones have been answered twenty four seven by retired officers. Yeah, you know, that that have been trained from that day on.
1: So why are officers uh, retired? Let me ask you that. But well, why do you choose retired officers and and talk a little bit about the vetting process that they go through? Yeah.
0: Great question. I get. I get. Asked that a lot, and our questionnaire, our volunteer questionnaire has all over it that you know, that you have to be retired. So I would I will ask you the the question, Rich, and you'll answer the question quite beautifully. If you are an active officer, and somebody called the lines and was gay, engaged in domestic violence or illegal drug use. Um, or they were going to kill
1: themselves.
0: Could you have to do
1: anything? Right. You, you'd have an obligation. I, I, I thought I knew the answer, but I figured I'd uh, <laughs> I, I'd tee yes. it up for you, no, but I, that, I, that's they, exactly right. Yeah. you'd have a, you'd have a enforcement responsibility uh, in right. in those situations, especially when you're talking about elder abuse, you know child abuse, uh, suicide so or we, homicide. We, you, know, you have to do something.
0: So so elder abuse, child abuse and um, and homicide we will we will do something about but if you know we have had you know situations where a officer is called the lines that was engaged in domestic abuse and if you were an active officer you would have to you would have to do something. Whereas, you know, this is nothing that our retired officers are enjoying. But that confidentiality, that having a safe place again, number one concern of an officer that asks for help is that they are going to lose everything for doing so. I will be damned if that ever happens on cop line. And I will tell you, we are the only law enforcement hotline out there that can say that.
1: So it, it's the closest right. thing to the seal of the confessional that you can have outside of, uh, outside of that context. Correct. Correct.
0: And in order to maintain that, they need to be retired. So um, so the vetting process is there is a pretty you – know, I'm going to go with invasive uh, <laughs> questionnaire that, that only goes to me. Um, that gets filled out online. Uh, like I said, it just – it directly goes to me. And, you know, we kind of go over, you know, kind of – you know, if you've been exposed to any critical incidents, we ask if you've been in therapy. We actually ask if you know who the therapist is, and that part of that is because if you found it positive and they're culturally competent, we then vet them um, so that we can add them to a referral list of ours. Um, but it also says to us what potentially your um, your bias could be with seeking help. So, so that was another part of this. And then we ask, was it positive or negative? Anybody, you or your family, ever take, you know, psychotropic medications? Positive or negative? Because again, these biases, we, we, I, it's not we, I look for. What are you bringing with you to to these lines? Um, the, the critical incidents. What have you been involved with? Um, you know, how did how did your department handle it? what do you do to relieve stress so so there's you know I, about suicide uh, have you personally ever thought of suicide um has anybody that you know including yourself attempted suicide anybody that um, that you know um completed suicide you know and if so whom and how and and so you know and this is kind of the start of, and and I'm the low hurdle at that point. So, you know, I talk to to volunteers and and I do, I talk to every one of them before they, you know, I ask them potentially to, to come to a training. And, you know, I make it really clear to them that the training doesn't mean that you're going to get on the line. So you can be spending literally thousands of dollars and still not end up being vetted to get on the lines. So the number one reason why people don't make it through training, I'd say number one is they self-exclude. That within the first two days, they kind of realize that this is not for them. What we are tasking somebody to do is to actually feel with their heart and not their head. And officers have learned, so when you take the job, you kind of, most of you guys, take it for all the right reasons, you want to help people, you want to make a difference, and and you're gung-ho, you learn to now feel with your heads and not your hearts. So so I get to, through training, say to you, I'm going to give you exactly what you had hoped for when you got on this job I'm going to allow you to do now. But... It's also bearing pain and it's bearing pain to all of their own experiences that a lot of them have buried. It's a very different task. So, so you've got to get in a hole with me. So when I call that line, I don't need a head talking to me because the truth is I've had dozens of heads talking to me. Right. I called this damn line for something else. Right. So it is our job. As trainers, and again, I'm not the lead trainer. I, you know, my, my sliver is a post-traumatic stress disorder sliver. It is you know, Dr. Nagdaman, you know, does does the bulk of it is really being able to help you learn to actively listen, and active listeners bear witness to pain.
1: Right. I, I want to so, digress to something you said yeah. earlier, and I just want to uh, you, you mentioned that y- your volunteers all have a servant heart, and I would. Submit for our listeners that aren't in law enforcement. That most law enforcement officers, the the good ones anyway, or even the ones that are, you know, just average, they all come to it with that type of that that type of uh, makeup and that type of okay. affect. It, it's it's the extent that they have it, which might make them a good volunteer or not. And, and I will say I won't mention any names, but I know a few of your volunteers here in the Tucson area. And, um, uh, you know, I, I would have no problem talking to them about anything that was going on in my life if that if it ever came to that. So uh, I guess that's just my testament that it, it works from my limited experience with Copline.
0: Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And then the other reason why they don't make it is because um, they can't get out of giving advice. You know, most of the time, you know, cops have had a career where everybody comes to them and they get to resolve the issue. Like, you go here, you go here, you get arrested, you know, you go into this room. And so they play a role of, OK, let me tell you what you need to do. So so if they can't not give advice and if they can't not judge Cups, two very favorite things in the world. Right, right. Then they can't be on our minds. And that comes out, you know, by day five, you're pretty damn off. <laughs> you know, lots and lots of tears, very unusually emotional um, for these guys. You know, and, and I think guys, women, obviously, are kind of in that umbrella. with You know, people going through this, it's a very difficult transformation to become wallly real because somebody on the other end of that phone their life depends on that. And I can't stress that enough. You know, and then you had to add interjected it, it is so true that that people have asked their friends, their coworkers, their supervisors, they've done all of that. They have they have been talked to death. They haven't been listened to. And they haven't been heard. So they are active listeners. They're not trained as peer support. You know, peer support, again, also has, you know, rules and regulations that they go by because they're still active duty or what have you. It's a very different skill set. These guys have all had law enforcement careers, but they're not peers.
1: Right. Yeah, essentially, it's not that they're that they don't care. It's just they're not equipped to provide the assistant that the, the assistance that someone needs at that specific point in time. And trained peers are given tools and a toolbox that helps them uh, through these situations again, without judging and without uh, without offering without offering too much advice. If if right, really no advice at all.
0: Right. I mean, you know, and I get asked a lot, you know, how do you handle a suicidal caller, you know, if you're not going to ping the lines and stuff, because that comes up because there's a lot of anxiety centered around that, you know, and if, and if you had called the lines, I mean, and typically you'd be crying. And, you know, if I was, if I was the volunteer, you know, I, I would, I would just say, you know, take your time. I'm here. And you know, at some point in time, you you know, you might say, you know, I can't take it anymore, blah blah blah. blah. Uh, Say I can hear the pain you're in, and then um, then you and I are going to talk about you know uh, a little bit more about that, and you're going to talk about that pain, and you're gonna you know say yeah, you know it's it's unbearable. You know, and I'm gonna say, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on? And then you you know you're gonna get into whatever it was. Um, and then at some point, cause you and I are going to build rapport. Right. And then at some point in time, I'm, I'm going to say to you, if you've said that your name is rich, I don't even care what you call yourself, by the way. <laughs> um, that's not important to us just, just to make that connection is, um, as I'm going to say, you know, rich, I'm wondering, you know, I, I, I can hear the pain and everything else. I'm wondering if you're thinking of killing yourself and you're going to say, yes, and I'm going to say, um, Are you thinking of killing yourself with your gun? I'm going to say yes, and then I'm going to ask you where your gun is, and you're going to tell me it's on your lap. And I'm going to say to you, wow, you really are serious. This is really, this situation is so devastating that you don't want to be here anymore. And then I'm going to say to you, Rich, just for this call, would you put your gun in the other room just for this call, though, Rich? Would you mind doing that? And if you say no, I am not going to, to spend any time talking about that damn gun because you called the line for a damn reason. So you're going to say no. And besides, I'm on the phone with you. You can lie to me and you can say, you know, yes. <laughs> you know, right, I put it right. in the other room. I'm never going to know. So I'm not going to hyper-focus on that. I'm going to focus on you and your pain. I'm going to focus on what happened before you called. I'm going to then say to you, Rich, um, is there somebody in your life that you're really close to? My family, but they've lost, blah, blah, blah.
1: I, that's,
0: I, I hear that, and it's so painful. I'm wondering if there's a friend. Is there somebody else that that you feel close enough to that you would share this information with? You know, my buddy, you know, Bob, it, but, you know, I, I don't want to bother him. Bob's got, you know, his own issues. His wife has breast cancer, blah, blah, blah. Wow, Bob. Bob's really dealing with a lot, Rich. I'm wondering if Bob called you in the middle of the night like it is now, would would you take that call? It's like, yeah. Would you feel like, like he was burdening you? No. I'm wondering how Bob would feel knowing that you're going through all this and you didn't reach out sometimes. So being able to do that, so we've been really, it's been really successful that that the individuals that have called the line will text somebody while we're still on the line with them, or even they will generate a third-party call so that they will then hit add call, they will call their buddy, they'll merge and say, you know, I'm on with, you know, you know, with Beth, she's you know from from and I'm I'm really struggling, and you know I you know can you come over? But I wanted Beth on the line too. Blah blah blah. So so that's how it gets resolved, and and that's what the healthy part is. So you know, I think people get so freaked out with gun suicide talk that it's like, oh no, let's make sure, let's get them to somebody. We are someone. You guys are talking people down every damn day from ledges. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this for each other. We do not need for that worst day of their life to truly become the absolute worst day of their life where they can lose their gun badge and patch.
1: Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I uh, as you were Kind of going through that, I I had to focus on the fact that I was still doing a radio show because I was drifting into some conversations I had had over the years, but possibly having a flashback of my own. But uh, we're, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. We only have about 30 seconds left. So, I again, we, we could have you on for five shows and not get to all of it. So yeah. in, in closing, again, we got 30 seconds left. What would you like to let everybody know how they can help Copline, or anything else you want to say in, uh, in closing?
0: Um, I, number one, for, for all those law enforcement officers that are listening um, or have connections to law enforcement, please, please, please go online, order materials, help us spread the word. Um, for those of you that have any connections with foundations or, um, or corporations that are law enforcement friendly, We have a run for the call coming up. It is our midnight run. Uh, Starts when the ball drops um, at midnight. Um, That's uh, that's one of our our big fundraisers. All right. Always need sponsors. Always need help. Please go online. We've got that there too.
1: Thank you very much for joining us, Stephanie. Again, Stephanie Samuels from CopLine. We thank you for joining us this morning, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.